This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. I hope we can all follow this trend and keep helping and, you know, uh, keep giving because uh, everything that you give, I believe that comes back twice as much, almost like, you know, paid forward. It's just amazing. This week on Dirty Linen, we've been talking to people about things they're looking forward to, what they're optimistic about, what are the good things and the silver linings that have come out of this crazy period. I'm really thrilled to introduce to the conversation Mauro Caligari, who is the chef and owner at Independent in Gembrook, an Argentinian restaurant uh, in the hills outside of Melbourne. Welcome to Dirty Linen, Mauro. So lovely to chat to you. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here sharing my thoughts. How are you feeling today? What's, what's, what's on the agenda? Oh, I'm feeling very well. Actually, you know, we talk about positives of COVID. Um, today, I'm not uh, actually working at the restaurant because I'm doing a charity for a primary school in Kangaroo Ground. Um, I do that a lot in the area. I support about four or five schools. Um, you know, and it's, it's the way that, you know, I, I know we had conversations in the past about how we give back to the community because, you know, especially where we live is a very uh, small and tight community. So, um, yeah, a friend of mine called me. He lives in uh, Elsam and he says, oh, my, my kids' school, they, are, they need a bit of help, you know, they need to do some renos. Can you help us out? So. I go there and cook paellas because I love cooking paellas. I know it's not Argentinian, um, even though you can find it in many, many restaurants in Argentina. Uh, but I go there, I cook, you know, three big paellas for about 150 people. And absolutely all the money that we get goes straight to the school. I take nothing. I don't take wages. We pay for all the ingredients that we have to use for our time. And it's just a great, it's a great thing, you know. It's a, uh, uh, my mom always says that, you know, giving is a healer, you know, and she's spot on with that. Wow. I mean, do you think that your approach to community or your feelings about community and its importance has changed over the last year? Um. I think probably I'm doing a little bit more. I always been very, very, very community um, driven. Uh, that started from the beginning of the restaurant. You know, this goes back to when we plan uh, to have the restaurant. Uh, my ex-business partner for the Robert Gordon uh, Potters, they have a family-owned pottery uh, in Pakenham. They are very well known in the industry. Uh, you can see them in many, many restaurants. And they were um, my business uh, my, my business partners. And Andy, that he's the father, is Andy and Barbara and the four kids. When we spoke the first time with Andy, Andy says, you know, the main reason why I want to do something really great in Jembrook is to give back to the community. Uh, you know, it, it started from the very beginning. And, you know, the, the times that I was working at Truth House in Blackrock, it was the same. We were always, you know, giving an enormous amount of support, you know, to school, kinders and anyone that we could help. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we come with nothing and we live with nothing. So why do we want so much? Well, it's yeah, I mean, that's very simple but quite profound. And I think if you sort of filter your activities through that question, you're going to make some 
yeah, like some pretty brave but meaningful choices. Oh, 100%. So, Mara, tell us a little about the community in Gembrook and how you've talked about how you support the community, but can you talk about how the community supported you uh, through lockdown and the pandemic? Yes, yes, 100%. Um, it was, you know, when we when we first went into the lockdown, you know, obviously it was very challenging in many, many, many aspects because, you know, it's the unknown. And I think the unknown is what is a bit frightening, not only for myself, for everyone. But, you know, um, through the unknown, I think it's the best opportunity for us to grow and to become better. You know, that's the, the, I think that's the goal in life for every person. And the sooner you realize that, the better person you become quicker or sooner. So you're going to work a lot better in every aspect of your, of your life. So basically, when we have to shut down, obviously, you know, the phones were going crazy and emails, everyone supporting anything you need. But, you know, the, the, the silliest thing, you know, people offering to come and, you know, sweep and, uh, you know, clean the garden, uh, clean the gutters, you know, uh, get cobwebs off. It was, it's just ridiculous. So we were, we were closed for five weeks and then we reopened with, a, you know, a cold packs. And when we reopened, we noticed, you know, a lot of people that were coming with vouchers and they were giving it to us. They said, sorry, we don't want this. I was like, oh, but, you know, or you pay or somebody else pay. No, no, we don't want it. We just want you guys, you know, to survive. So, you know, it was that. It was the landlord, uh, the government, you know, that the government brought so much, you know, I think division, in, in you know, with some people because it was the people that they saw that the government was doing a great job and people they saw that they weren't. But I tell you one thing, you know, this morning I was talking to my mom in Argentina today, there is 25 and a half thousand cases in the past 24 hours. So let's talk about, you know, what we did right, what we did wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was hard for everyone. But, you know, the help that the government gave us, you know, my brother is an, uh, a small business owner back home and he gets nothing for the government. You know, and you have to shut down and you have to shut down. And he still has to pay for a school, pay for food. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not the same. Australia, you know, is such a, you know, beautiful place, such a helpful, you know. And I don't want to detour too much from the community, you know. The community, you know, they were waiting for anything that we did to just come and support. You know, they, they wanted anything, regardless of what we put on the menu, you know, they will want to buy more. They will buy for the neighbor. They, you know, we, we got all these, you know, all the time. And also from other businesses, you know, there is a, it's a cafe next door to us. It's called a Spencer store. Uh, you know, they sell a little, um, they send us a little pack, you know, with some cookies. They, it's everything homemade. And it's such a, such a small, you know, beautiful gesture, you know, of support. Here we are here, you know, if you want to talk, um, you know, I can mention landlords, suppliers, friends, uh, our staff, you know, was um, especially one staff member that obviously some people, they got benefited with JobKeeper. So she says, oh, I'm, I'm getting paid too much. I used to get paid less than this. So she chipped in to support staff members that they did not have JobKeeper. Wow. You know, 
Yeah. Um, another one was this uh, group called the Worksmith. Um, I I was a lucky winner of one of the you know grants that they gave, and that was also transfer for two staff members that they did not qualify for JobKeeper. So you know, it's a, I don't know. I think I could talk for ten hours about you know <laughs> how many things people actually did for us. You know, it was everyone, everyone. You know, from you know uh, Emerald, Cockatoo, Gembrook, you know, uh, all the way down to Belgrave. Uh, you know, people were just, uh, you know, the support was overwhelming. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, we dropped a few tears, I have to be honest. Mm. So, Mauro, I think I'm right in saying that you've been in Melbourne since 2003. That's correct. So I know that you cooked your way around Europe before that. And si- since you came here, like you did work in the city at the Sofitel, but most of your other positions and, and your two restaurants that you've owned have been um, out of the centre of the city. They've been Black Rock, which is, I guess, you know, an outer Bayside suburb, and now you're in um, Gembrook, uh, you know, in the east of the city. Is that a conscious choice to be out of the the sort of business zone, more in the neighbourhoods? Um, yes, actually it was, um, you know, when I did my, my first, uh, job outside the city was Mandala Wines in Dixon's Creek. And, you know, it, it was, it was, it was great because, um, you know, an opening, a new building, uh, really great owners, really great produce, you know, the wines are amazing. And, um, it was very challenging, and we were very unlucky that we got hit by um, Black Saturday. So, you know, but that sort of like, in a sense, destroyed the business. So obviously, you know, a business is not a charity, it's to make money. Um, so but I have to step aside because, you know, obviously my salary was big and they needed, you know, smaller things and uh, and they actually did very well. And the person that stayed there was Manuel, that Manuel is my my head chef right now. You know, we've been working. He was at True South with me. Now he's here with me. We've been working together since 2008. Wow. Um, yeah, and the decision of going outside the city, it was mainly because I always wanted to open my own restaurant. And there is no way that myself without investors, I could afford to do that in the city. Uh, you know, it's, everything is way more expensive, you know. And when I went to True South, True South, you know, it, it was just great because it was such a good response from the beginning from people and it became a total hit straight away. So then I said, okay, when I want to do my own restaurant and I want to do it outside the city and the funny story how we end up opening the independent i went to buy some plates at robert gordon pottery and i became very good friends with sam gordon he's uh, the youngest of the four siblings and sam said to me oh what's on the agenda you know what's the plan and i said oh i'm i'm going home now i'm finishing you know my business plan you know my dream is to open in my restaurant um at that time uh, my partner lily um, you know, that she worked in really great places, you know, you name Ballerina, um, uh, Kumo in Brunswick, uh, the Albert Park Hotel. Um, you know, she she always been in great places. We, we always had that plan. And 
I said, oh, yeah, I'm working on this business plan. And he says, oh, what do you want to do? What do you want to open a restaurant? And I said, oh, you know, my favorite area is Dandenong Rangers because, you know, I ride my motorbike in there. It's beautiful. I always go, you know, to little cafes and art galleries and this stuff, you know, the Cardinia Water Reservoir. And he said, oh, you're joking. And I said, no, why? He says, oh, my family just purchased a, a building in Jembrook. He said, would you like to come check it out? And I said, okay. So exactly a week later, I came for a ride here. I look at the the independent, what is now. And I went like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's such an amazing building. You know, it's big. It's a heritage listed building too. Um, and I said, okay, yeah, I think it can work. It was nothing in Jembrook. It was just, you know, a little pizza shop and a fish and chip shop, the bakery, um, it was really nothing, you know. No. And so I sent him the business plan and we started talking, talking, talking. And then uh, oh, Lily fell pregnant. And so we postponed for a year. And then we opened the restaurant. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Like, um, yeah, it's been an amazing ride. And, you know, once again, the support of the community and everyone. And, you know, we get a lot of uh, tourist trade too. They come, uh, they day trip tourists. They come from the city. They also come from the other end, you know, as far as uh, Wilson's Prom, you know, Taralgon, Warragul. Um, a lot of people from um, Yarra Valley, they come this way. And a lot of people from Mornington, you know, that, that's very surprising. Is it, um, I mean, how are you finding that tourist trade, given that there's no international travel? Have you found that locals have been, you know, filling in those gaps? Oh, 100%. They, 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 Locals is, is just crazy, the support, yeah. It's, um, we, we do get a lot, a lot of people um, coming from the city on the weekends especially. We get a lot of uh, parties and, you know, people, they come and they stay for the weekend. There is a few hotels and cottages and they just come and make a weekend out of it. This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single what origin cream. What pays our electricity bills and our, you know, trucks and everything else is our bulk butter and our butter sheets because that's where the volumes are. A small bakery would go through 200 kilos of butter uh, a week minimum. Uh, when you compare that to a, to a deli, uh, they're lucky if they sell six units of butter. A lot of our investments in in the business itself is trying to perfect the butter sheets that, that you know, Sonoma uh, would use to make their croissants, for example, which we're very proud of, the fact that Sonoma use our butter sheets to make all their croissants. Absolutely fantastic. For more information, go to pepisayer.com.au. So I know that a lot of business owners have restructured things um, post reopening. You know, obviously one of the biggest issues is staffing. There just aren't as many staff around, but people have also had time to sort of, you know, rethink their businesses and, and the way that they structure their menus or their opening hours. What changes have you made? Um, in here, we mainly we change the menu. Um one of the things, you know, like be before we used to do the usual, you know, with certain ingredients, um, 
we sort of were more forgiving about, you know, margins and how, you know, okay, yeah, that's a little bit too expensive, but let's put it in because people like eating it and we make less money. Now, one of the things is, you know, straight away business and every single dish has to be spot on on the costing, otherwise we don't do it. Um, the same goes for wines. Um, the clientele that we have, you know, they they don't go for the very, you know, like for example, when I go out in the city, I have no problem paying for a bottle of wine, $150. In here, it doesn't happen. In here, all your wines have to be, I would say, top on the $80 mark. So that limitates a little bit what you can get. Um, but, you know, saying that we do have a few expensive wines, but it's just the bare minimum that, you know, for some special customers that they like to spend a bit more. Um, and then on the menu, we used to have two uh, set menus. Uh, one was called Mauro's Table, another one, uh, Chef Menu. And one was uh, nine courses, the other one, seven courses. Everything is to share, goes in the middle of the, of the table, is divided in three segments, some starters, main, and then some desserts. And we just fusion it into one menu. Um, and we realized that it works really, really well. Like about 60% of our trade is chef menus, not a la carte. That that's, a, that's a pretty high uh, percentage when I compare with my friends that they own other restaurants. And yeah, one of the main decisions is like uh, to do all these changes also is because we don't have the manpower. Like we went from having 30 staff members to have 16 now. Wow, yeah, that's and, a big difference. Yes, and we've been advertising, heavily advertising. We went, um, you know, to nat uh, natural organic advertisement, like, you know, Facebook, Instagram. That is usually what it works best for us. And also with some pay advertisement, nothing. And with every single friend that I talk to, they say nothing, no luck at all, you know, nothing, no stuff. So... You know, we see we see what happens, but you know how is it? We need to adapt and you know make it work because at the end of the day, you know the the business is our livelihood, and you know we need to make it work. So, are you opening uh, shorter hours with those staff no, numbers slow down? No, we did we did change our trading uh, about two years ago. We used to open Wednesday through to Sunday, from twelve until uh, late at night. And we realized, you know, it was not trade on Wednesday. So we shut down on Wednesdays and then we shut down Thursday lunch. So now we do Thursday dinner from 5.30 p.m. until late. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday from 12 until late. And it works really well. Okay. And did you open over Easter? Uh, yes, we did. Okay, because yes. I know a lot of people closed over Easter for the first time. Just, you know, they did the sums and it was just like, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah, we, we made the mistake of opening uh, Friday. Friday was not good. We only did Friday dinner um, and it was very, very quiet. But still, we managed it with, you know, a, a skeleton team. So, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do things also for the customers. Um, but... Then sa Saturday was the biggest day ever since we opened the restaurant six and a half years ago. 
It's so interesting. You know, I was at my book club last night and um, one of the um, girls was chatting, you know, they went for a a drive on Easter Monday with the family and they were just, they thought, oh, we'll get some lunch somewhere. They were driving, driving, driving. There was just nowhere open for lunch on Easter Monday. And I was explaining, they they were mystified. They just couldn't understand it. They were like, there were so many people on day trips, you know, why wasn't there anywhere to eat? And I was, I was saying, you know, because it's because people have to pay uh, public holiday penalty rates and they were saying but but they would have been busy and I'm like well being busy doesn't necessarily mean that you're making money and you know it's you know it was just book club you know I didn't want to you know um, make a speech but I still feel like there is such a disconnect in understanding from the the general dining public about the realities of of running a business like like a restaurant yes 100 percent. you have to understand that uh, for example, for us, the lowest paid person gets paid fifty-three dollars, uh, sorry, fifty-two dollars fifty cents an hour on a public holiday. So, it's uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of restaurants that they are uh, moving into, even doing a surcharge um, on Sundays, every Sunday. But even a surcharge, let's say it's 15%, it doesn't, I mean, it's a con- contribution, but it doesn't really cover the penalties, does it? It, it does not. No, it, it actually covers 40% of the penalties. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. But, you know, it helps. Um, you know, it's, uh, the thing is like, you know, at some point you have to compromise. It's, uh, it, it's a difficult thing. And it's, it's a thing that not many people understand, as you, as you just said before. They, do, they don't understand because they, they don't know the number. Everybody thinks that you open a restaurant and you're a millionaire, and it's far from that. Yeah. Um, Mara, I'd love to talk a bit about the food culture that you've brought with you from Argentina. I mean, I haven't been there, but, you know, the little I know, it seems – an extremely diverse country. People have come from all over the place and contributed to the cuisine there. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the cuisine of Argentina. Um, I would say, um, of course, we have, we have the criollo, so, you know, Creole, the people, you know, the, the, the people that they are originally born from Argentina, the gauchos or cowboys. Um, and those are the ones from where the barbecue comes, you know, across that, you know, they, they will just kill a cow and, you know, hang it from a tree and do a bonfire underneath and cook the whole cow overnight while, you know, getting drunk at night and drinking mate in the morning. Uh, mate is our national um, drink. It's uh, described as a green tea and it has a lot of benefits, uh, health benefits. Is um is very popular in Lebanon too. Yeah, I I, I recently learned about this um, Middle Eastern connection with mate. Um, yeah, like yeah, I heard yeah, and it was a Lebanese person that was t- telling me that it was such a part of their culture and upbringing. Yes, because uh, there is a few different versions of that because there is a there is a pretty big um, Lebanese community in Argentina so they say that that's how it started going back and forwards um, and another one some people the little bit more fanatics uh, they say that in Lebanon naturally they did have mate before you know but it's the same discussion as the Pavlova is you know Australian on your skin, <laughs> you know it's like yeah. you, you will always argue about that um, yeah 
so the rest, you know, not to get you away from the, the point of the conversation, um, we do have, we like to say that every Argentinian has a grandfather or grandmother that they are from uh, Italy or Spain, and that's uh, very accurate. Uh, there is a little uh, French community there too, but majority, you know, like all my family from my dad's side, uh, they are Italian. From my mom's side, they are French. Um, but I do have um, also connection with the Spanish people. When you talk about food, you know, you can go to a restaurant, uh, as I said before about paellas, like majority of um they they are called um you know it's like a, they we call them cafes but they are not cafes like in australia it's more like la porqueta style restaurant um where you go and you have the whole range of the argentinian culture you have your barbecue you have your schnitzels they are huge in argentina any kind of schnitzels you like uh you have your pastas from italian your rice, risottos, steamed rice, and then you have your Spanish culture. And your Spanish, you know, obviously you have the tortilla or Spanish omelette in English. Uh, that pretty much every restaurant and bar in Argentina, they do have a tortilla. Every single one is like, you know, is religion. Because once again, it's, it's a country with 45% of poverty. Um, so, people, they do tend to go for more the cheaper, you know, uh, dishes. You know, potato is always cheap. Uh, soups, they are always cheap. Stews, we do a lot of stews, you know, lentil stew, osobuco stew, um, you know, stomach stew. We eat every part of the any animal, basically. Um, yeah, and then we have a very, very little... Um, uh, influence from Northern Africa that I think that uh, comes through a slavery trade um, that mainly Brazil was involved with that, but some of them, they could escape through the south um, border of Brazil into Argentina. That's where the waterfalls are. So it, it, it's a lot of, you know, little things, but mainly, you know, it's uh, Italian, Spanish and French, and you get, you know, people eat, Pasta and pasta and pasta every single day, bread. There is a bakery in every corner where you walk. Um, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's just, uh, you know, such a full of choices, you know. It's a, um, yeah, and, that, and that's what I try to transfer, you know, into the restaurant. Like my mom, uh, she had a restaurant for many, many years. I, I grew up in there. And, you know, uh, like every chef, you know, when you go to school, uh, they make you believe that um, you have to do fine dining. You know, it's like fine dining, everything is fine dining. And then, you know, through time, obviously, you know, I did my thing, you know, going to Europe, uh, living in England for four and a half years, working in great places. And then, you know, when I came here to me, uh, too, you know, it's like a, I work um, with uh, Raymond, that, you know, fantastic influence and, you know, um, he's a mad creator because uh, he's like, he's, the things that he produced, they are unbelievable. And so this is Raymond Capaldi. So you worked yeah. with him at the Sofitel and then at Phoenix, did you? Yeah, and then I moved to Phoenix, yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was also I worked with Matteo for a little bit. Um, that actually, that, that's where I met Buddha. 
Meteo Pignatelli, a yeah, Mateo's restaurant, long standing restaurant. Yeah, and you know, I worked there for a bit. Uh, I also worked with Joe Bargetto. Um, and you know, when I started working with Joe, you know, I, I sort of like start falling in love again with more uh, simple, hearty food. You know, it's like um, not everything is a puree and a twill and, you know, that, yeah, it's great that you learn all those skills. But, and then when I moved to True South, basically I just said, okay, I'm going to take all my home cooking um, and, you know, and I'm going to give it a twist, you know, I'm going to do the things that I like. And it was an instant hit. It was, you know, it was literally what people wanted. What's an example of a traditional dish that you've put your little twist on? Uh, like, for example, you know, we have the, the asado, you know, the beef ribs. And I, li- I like to cook it. Um, everybody does it on the barbecue. Uh, one thing in Australia, I notice Australians, they don't really like, um, they like tender meat. They don't really get, in Argentina, when you eat meat, it has flavor, but you have to chew it. In Australia, you get a complaint. And when I start, <laughs> yeah, when when I start playing with these things, uh, I I went like, no, I need to slow cook the beef ribs before I grill them. So I start cook them a little bit more like an osobuco, you know, onions, uh, celery, some bay leaves, Malbec wine or Bonarda wine. That is another very popular wine in Argentina. And, you know, so you tenderize the meat and then you can grill it before it goes out, serve it with chimichurri. And that works really well. That, you know, and actually now the complaints that I get, usually they are from Argentinians. They go like, oh, why you slow cook the beef? You should grill it. <laughs> Interesting. It's, yeah, it's that, it's that sort of um, that sort of things. And then, for example, you know, choripan, that is our number one snack that basically is a chorizo sausage in between, you know, in a bread, sort of like a French baguette style bread. And usually you put a bit of chimichurri or salsa criolla, you know, that is onion, capsicum, oregano, chili. And what I do is I make like a big uh, paste with sausage meat and I put smoked ham hocks, caramelized onions, and I form sort of like a patty. And then we make like a mini burger, mini slider with that. It's like, that will be my take on the choripan. Uh, people love that. It's just, you know, great. And then, you know, varieties of fillings for empanadas. You know, like right now we have a cauliflower and pineapple empanada that goes, you know, for vegans, goes very well. Uh, Argentina is actually not very friendly for vegans. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, where... The, the tradition of hanging a cow up over a roaring fire, I'm feeling like that's not very vegan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah, and uh, it's a, they're actually having a big uh, vegan movement right now in Argentina and uh, it's led by my younger brother. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually huge and, you know, it's uh, international. He actually travels. He goes to... Um, Two years ago, he, you know, he was in France, in England. He goes to Canada, uh, to America. It's all part of his, uh, yeah, activist. Oh, so he's he's a chef and a vegan activist. He's or not just, a chef. No. He's not a chef. No. no, right. But he's a massive vegan activist. Yes, that's so interesting. Um, 
What do you think, I mean, you mentioned that Argentina is really suffering at the moment with coronavirus. I mean, how do you think things are going to pan out there? Oof. Um, you know, Argentina is, uh, is extremely challenging. Um, even when I, I left in 1999, um, sorry, 2000, and it was, uh, you know, it was bad at the time, but now it's, uh, it reached some new levels. Um, you know, it's always, uh, I think the other day I had a bit of a conversation. Uh, we were talking about the difference, you know, in between politicians, you know, it's like, I understand that we are, you know, opposite parties, but we all, at the end of the day, we are all working for the citizens. So we all need to come up with a solution. Even when I'm not in power, I need to do something to support you. In Argentina, it's totally opposite. It's a, it's a battle in between the different political parties and they separate the society a lot. So I I have friends that they don't talk to other friends because of the political views. It, got, it, it gets to a level that, you know, it's uh, it's almost scary, and it's actually not getting any better at all, at all. And uh, nobody seems to have a response or know what are they gonna do, how are they going to do it. It's just, um, yeah, it's a, it, it, it's almost like they 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 don't know what is gonna happen. And now they are going into a lockdown again. So the government put a lockdown. Uh, they closed the schools. So everybody went on the street saying, we don't want the schools closed. So it's just everyone, they, they keep doing the normal life. You know, it's like when there is restrictions, they find the loophole to not follow the restriction. Not, not, not thinking that that's actually worse for everyone. And, you know, a year and a bit into the pandemic, and things, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse, you know. So the numbers keep going up. But, you know, I talk to my friends and they go like, I said, oh, yeah, how are you? Oh, good. I just came back from a barbecue. But sorry, aren't you on lockdown? Oh, yeah, but everything is okay. Wow. You know, it, it, it's, it's such a, you know, without, without being too critical of, um, you know, uh, Argentinians and, you know, and, and South, South America in general, you know, is that mentality of always not everyone of course but you know in general is always trying to take advantage as much as you can from others or from a situation and that's the reason why the whole south america because it's the whole south america that is suffering with covid like nowhere in the world it is it, so bad it's terrible i think one thing we've learned around the world with covid is it's it's showed up fractures that were already there in society. And I guess if the leadership is working to, yeah, to divide, then this is a really great time to, to um, exploit those divisions between people. Um, but it does, I guess, put into context how positive you are about the situation here in Australia, Mauro, and, and, and it does um, give you a, a really um, a, a point of comparison that's really close to your heart. Um, so, we're so lucky in so many ways to be here. Um, what are you looking forward to as you continue to rebuild the business? Uh, one of the main things is, uh, uh, you know, we are working a lot um, towards, you know, 
being able to give the service that we are used to, because it's not like we give bad service, but due to limitations, uh, you know, obviously you see cracks when you get very busy. And, you know, we, we are doing a whole lot of, uh, you know, we implemented, you know, trainings and we implemented um, uh, booking times, you know, slots. We only book 20, 25 to 30 people every 30 minutes. So, you know, we have a better pace and we can uh, do a better job and we can give a better experience to customers. Uh, customers, I seem to be very, very happy because we don't literally get any complaints. We only get price and, you know, and, and, and very good reviews and, uh, and, you know, everyone is just so happy to be able to be out again. But, um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm just looking forward for a bit of normality. Um, and, you know, for people to, I think COVID, especially in Australia, got the best out of people. So I hope we can continue with this pattern of, you know, because Australians were always very helpful from the beginning. You know, it's a, you park on the side of the road, especially where I live, and you park there, I don't know, because you need to take a phone call or you need to send a message. And you have three cars stopping going like, Oh, you okay? You need a hand? <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah, they like, like you know, it, it's these things like, you know, I hope we can all um, follow this trend and keep helping and, you know, uh, keep giving because uh, everything that you give, I believe that comes back twice as much, you know, is it? So, I think we can we can follow that trend, you know. We can. We, uh, I don't think it's a trend. I think it's you know it's lifestyle, almost like you know, paid forward. Uh, mm. it, it's just amazing. Ah, oh, beautiful, Maro. It's um so lovely to get your perspective. I think it's um yeah, it's 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 really beautiful and and rich, and it's it's really heartening to uh, learn about how much you've been able to take from this period in, in a positive sense. Um, those lucky people that are going to get your paella later, so we better let you go and prepare for that. Uh, but oh, thank thank you. you so much for coming along today to have a chat. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.